0: Humanity is growing. Hello and, and welcome to the Tomorrow's Energy Transition Solutions energy Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm our, your host, future, Joe Battier. This is the, the show where we bring you low carbon, high energy, energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Craig, Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern of life and the innovators finding solutions. solutions. We are going Join to be us for a low carbon, high energy conversation with your host, Joe work. The not the most exciting China 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 part of, of business, any industry, or government but team. as I see in geothermal and as Rich has seen in hydrogen, regulations are not only necessary for safety, but they are necessary for expediting growth. So we are going to talk about hydrogen and safety standards and framework today that are necessary to accelerate the growth of the hydrogen economy. With that, Thank you, Rich, for joining me on the show today. If you would please share with me and the audience your background and an introduction to the Compressed Gas Association.
1: First, uh, thank you, Joe, for having me on. I look forward to this, this discussion on hydrogen and why safety and standards are so important for its expanded use. A uh, little about me, I'm an electrical engineer by training, and I knew very little about industrial gases when I graduated. But through a, a real fortunate set of circumstances, I started working for one of the major industrial gas, plant, or gas companies many, many years ago. And during my career, I held a lot of different positions in operations and engineering and business and finally joined the Corporate Process Safety Group uh, toward the end of my career there. I joined CGA about 11 years ago, first as the Technical Director, and more recently as the Vice President of Technical and Regulatory Affairs. As to CGA, uh, CGA was founded as the Compressed Gas Manufacturers Association in 1913. So we've been around for a long time. We're an ANSI accredited standards developing organization dedicated to the development and promotion of safety standards and safe practices in the industrial, medical, and food gases industry. We represent over 130 member companies in all facets of that industry, manufacturers, distributors, suppliers, transporters of of gases and cryogenic liquids and such. We work through a committee system to develop technical specifications, safety standards, training, and educational materials for for the industry. And we work with government agencies. We work, for example, with the U.S. Department of Transportation and Transport Canada. We work with the U.S. FDA and Health Canada to formulate responsible regulations and standards and to promote compliance with regulations and standards.
0: So, that's a you cover a lot of ground in terms of compressed gas and kind of the whole industry. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed that you didn't say was was anything about natural gas. So, is there a difference between compressed gas and natural gas? Uh.
1: Yes and no. Um, a vague answer, I, I recognize. Um, natural gas is something that, that people have a lot of, of experience with in their homes and such. And we do deal with natural gas on a, on a, a commercial or large-scale basis. And when I talk to people about being in the compressed gas industry, they think naturally of natural gas. But there's a whole lot of other gases that make up industri- the industrial gas universe, and they touch just about every part of your life. And these are the gases that we cover in CGA. L- let me let me give you a little little breakdown of what we do. We have publications that address more than sixty different gases ranging from products that everyday users are familiar with, things like oxygen and helium, to very specialized products that are used in applications like semiconductor manufacturing. Um, Let me give you a a brief description of some of the gases that we produce and distribute. First, and the, the first one I'm going to talk about is oxygen. It's one of the best or one of the best known uses for oxygen is respiratory support. It's used by patients suffering from breathing issues such as emphysema. It's used in surgery with other gases for anesthesia. and most recently, it's been used as a primary treatment for patients with severe COVID symptoms. So it, it's been very much in the news with COVID. It's also used in municipal water treatment systems. It's used in making steel and enhance enhance the efficiency of many combustion processes uh, with the end result of of them having fewer emissions. The next uh, next one is nitrogen. Uh, It's used to create inert atmospheres for chemical processes. It's used in making computer trip computer chips. And for storing volatile chemicals, it's used to freeze and preserve food. It's used in beverages to produce very creamy heads. You know, when, when you think of a nitro brew, the, the nice head comes from, from nitrogen. Um, and ever wonder why potato chip bags are puffy? It's because there's some nitrogen in there, and it's there both to keep the chips fresher. But because the bag is puffy because of the nitrogen, it keeps the chips from getting broken in transit and when they're sitting on your shelf. But before we talk about hydrogen, let me just mention one more gas, and that's carbon dioxide. I'm sure some of your listeners may think that carbon dioxide is bad, and I concur there's, there's really good reasons for, not, for limiting its results but really is a quite useful gas with many essential applications, uses that, that are pretty common to all of us. The best known one is for uh, carbonation in beverages. It puts the fizz in, in soda and soft drinks and beer. And without it, they would, they would all be flat. And, and you know, I don't think anybody likes a flat beer. Uh, carbon dioxide used to preserve food. Uh, It's used to freeze food. Uh, The gas is used to uh, package foods and fruits, and it displaces oxygen in packaging so they stay fresher. Uh, Liquid carbon dioxide or dry ice is used to quickly freeze food, and it does this uh, by limiting the formation of ice crystals that tend to break down the, the cells and cause food to get mushy and lose color. And dry ice is often used to ship foods uh, to keep them fresh during shipment. It's, it has a grow, uh, uh, an expanding use, I guess I shouldn't use, growing use in enhanced growing atmospheres in greenhouses. They purposely increase the carbon dioxide percentage in greenhouses to make plants grow more, more quickly. It makes for better plants and faster growth. And carbon dioxide's used with oxygen uh, to make mixtures that help diagnose disease. It's used for wastewater treatment. It's used for re- as a refrigerant. So you know, while people may have a, a very bad impression of, of carbon dioxide, it really is a gas that has a lot of a lot of uses, a lot of beneficial uses. And then there's hydrogen. You know, we've we're going to talk more about it, but, but it's been around for you know, many, many years. It's used not only as a fuel in fuel cells, but it's essential for making uh, semiconductor chips. It's used to make glass. It's used in large power generators, those you see at, at big utility plants to Reduce the windage. Uh, that's the drag that's produced as the rotor spins within the, the generator, and it's used that there also as a coolant because it's a it, hydrogen has a very good heat transfer coefficient, and you know, as I said earlier, it's used as a fuel. Uh, it's used as a fuel for fuel cells. It's used as a fuel for rockets. So a lot, a lot of uses for hydrogen beyond what. People are talking about hydrogen uses now.
0: Yeah. And it seems like every other day or really even every day when I am on LinkedIn or looking at, at the interwebs, there is a new announcement of either somebody generating a new set of hydrogen. They're building a new facility or a new use of hydrogen in X plant or Y plant. So it seems like it's a very fast-growing market. What kind of insight do you have on the hydrogen market growth?
1: It, it certainly is a fast-growing market. As you said, there, there are announcements about new projects coming up every day and new uses coming up about as often. Um, there's already a significant demand for hydrogen. As I said, it's a useful gas. Um, outside of what it's, what it's being uh, proposed for for climate change. But uh, the growth in hydrogen as an alternate fuel is really expected to be, to be vast. Uh, one study that, that I've read by IHS Market shows that demand could grow four times what it is today by 2050. That would represent an additional 40 million metric tons per year. That's a lot of hydrogen. The Hydrogen Council projects that hydrogen could meet eighteen percent of our global energy needs again by twenty fifty. And I just read another one yesterday that predicted it could be twenty two. It could be twenty two percent of our energy needs. So really, uh, a lot of growth going on. Yes, and we have. We have the. Uh, a, a, factor that uh, just came about, the recently signed Inflation Reduction Act, will certainly further the growth of hydrogen and hydrogen use.
0: Hmm. Now, with all of that existing growth and that fast, significant growth and all of these projects, the last time we spoke and really the reason we're on this call today is that that the cga really thinks that this could grow faster and and i liked that you pointed out the idea of using hydrogen as a transportation fuel that's something that that you don't see as often it's not something we talk about we talk about hydrogen in generators or hydrogen being used at a at some type of industrial scale food source or or some process but we don't hear it as much in transportation. I guess the—that's a long way of asking why not?
1: Well, um, part of it is—is is the the infrastructure is just evolving, um, but one of the things that that we're concerned about that really needs to be addressed, and and people are addressing it, but but it's it's. What we talk about is the, the need for safety standards around hydrogen. Back in 2022 or 2020, we did some research and we found that only 12% of our survey respondents said that hydrogen was very safe. And that, you know, again, uh, that same population, 92% wanted to know that hydrogen fuel cell technology was safe before they'd consider using it so having them convinced that hydrogen is is safe is is very important to promote its its expanded use and much of this perception is founded on something that happened in Lakehurst New Jersey back in 1937 and here I'm, I'm talking of course about the hindenburg and that is that has certainly colored the published perception of hydrogen. Um, yeah, I, when, when hydrogen buses come out, it, it's really not uncommon to hear them called Hinden buses. Now, I'm not saying that hydrogen is without hazards. Like everything, there's hazards with using hydrogen. But with proper mitigations, hydrogen can be used safely. And this is where safety standards come in. They put in place the requirements that are needed to address the hazards and reduce the risks.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you've made there because it it does seem like that perceived risk is almost always what is hindering any type of growth. Recently, I had on somebody from the Nuclear Energy Institute, and it's Mm -hmm. the same thing, the perceived risk of nuclear is what made it fall out of favor. And when we talk about hydrogen fuels, my first thought goes to the Hindenburg. My second thought is a video that that I remember showing a a punctured cylinder with this jet of of fire coming up out of it. And to me that is in my mind, I see a jet of, of flames and I think, oh, that's dangerous. Maybe I don't want to drive in that in that vehicle. So I guess I'm I'm wondering, can you explain to me what is that real risk when it comes to hydrogen fuels and and what is that those specific points that you're trying to standardize or advocating standards for that will lessen that risk?
1: Yeah. Yeah and- People sometimes confuse hazard with risk, and it's, it's really important to, to talk about that. You know, hazard is the consequence of, a, of an event happening, while risk accounts for the probability of the event as well as the hazard. You know, an example that, that I, I'll give you is, is flying on an airplane. You know, a hazard is that the plane's going to crash and people are going to die, but the probability of that happening is extremely low so people accept the risk and the reason they do that or a reason they do that is that there're standards in place to help regulate how airplanes are built and operated and that long history of safe operation based on having those standards has shown it to be has shown to be effective in controlling that risk and the same goes with hydrogen there are hazards with the use of hydrogen. That's a wide flammability range, for example, meaning it can burn in a wide range of concentrations of air. It's a very small molecule. It, it leaks easily. It, allows, it diffuses through many materials that are considered air, airtight or impermeable to other gases, including it'll permeate through some metals. So there's standards for the materials that can be used and how the systems are designed, built, and operated to address those hazards to reduce the probability of events and consequently reduce the risk. And its long history of safe use has shown that these standards are effective. Uh, we, we wrote our first hydrogen safety standard in 1955, it's used in, as I stated earlier, it's used in a lot of applications and it's used safely because there are standards in place that understand the risks and, and provide the mitigations to those, uh, understand or address the hazards and, and reduce the risk. So, you know, that, that is why we think that they are. Standards are necessary and people need to be thinking about standards as, uh, hydrogen grows.
0: Yeah. Can you think of one example as far as a standard that is more geared towards that safety and reducing that risk factor when it comes to using hydrogen for transportation?
1: Well, I, materials of construction and how you build things are, are very, very important. There are, there's a a set of standards. There's lots of standards that, that address how hydrogen gets stored on vehicles, how it gets used. Um, There are, there are, there is a need for, for more standards because of changing technologies as technologies change the standards need to need to adapt to these new technologies and these new uses. Uh, one of the things that that will help with with hydrogen and, and making people understand that hydrogen is safe or feel that hydrogen is safe is as we get more experience with it, uh, showing that it is safe. It's again, I'll go back to to the airplane example. It's it's proven history that things that airplanes are safe to fly on and it's because standards have been put in place on how they get built and operated
0: okay so i understand the the standards and how that will and adoption will help us lower not only it will help us lower the perceived risk because it is in fact safer and because there is a there is less to point to saying here's a problem with this fuel so that should lead to greater public acceptance greater adoption of this technology the other aspect that you mentioned earlier was infrastructure and yes. in my mind it's the same with evs right now we need fueling stations for hydrogen there's a lot more steps we would also need pipelines. We would need the processing facilities. We would need to be able to build all of this to take care of the supply demand. So I guess, where are we right now in this infrastructure piece of the hydrogen economy? Yeah,
1: the infrastructure is is starting to come together and standards will, will address safety, of course, but it will also address Yeah. How the infrastructure comes together. Uh, an example that, that is, is used, um, think of the i an iPhone or an Android phone, um, and the, the different charging cables, they do the same thing. They deliver power to a device battery, but they're not interchangeable. And if you have an iPhone and the only cables that you have available are for Android, you're going to run out of power. And there's, not much you can do about that. And that makes, you know, difficult decisions on, on which way to go. But as as hydrogen fuel cell vehicles come about, um, having standards on how systems are put together, uh, how they are designed, how they're supposed to work, will encourage and foster greater growth, Um we, we do have, there are current standards for how hydrogen fuel cells uh, vehicles uh, are filled from dispensers, but there's still room for uh, improved standards on how the facilities themselves, the, the refueling facilities, the hydrogen production equipment and such get put together, get built uh, and operated that will foster uh, faster growth. Because if they're, if things are, are standardized, they can be put into place much more quickly. Uh, for example, uh, a standard approach for uh, hydrogen refueling stations will help get them sited more quickly, help people uh, determine where they can go, where they, they uh, what, Features they have to have when they're put in certain places, uh, things like the, the storage for hydrogen, be it high pressure, uh, gaseous hydrogen or liquid hydrogen, uh, standards to address that so that they, they are put in, in a common manner, uh, will make it easier to, to build these things out more quickly, um, don't get re- me wrong, there are standards now for for pipelines and processing uh, facilities and other parts of that supply chain, but there's still opportunity for more standardization and having these standardized uh, having standardized approaches makes building out and supplying the infrastructure not only safer but faster and more efficient
0: yeah, I can see that where just thinking about your example of an iphone versus an android and simple connectors and where and how those connect up and knowing specific uh specific pipeline me- metallurgy quality that everybody uses the same or better than right specific quality, it ultimately would just make it all work better and make it all move faster. Mm-hmm. And especially when I think about the oil and gas environment, where you could have pretty much anybody tying into a natural gas pipeline, if they've got a natural gas well, that's a situation where now you you don't know the quality of that gas coming out of the well. But I'm sure that there are specific regulations on how much cleaning or scrubbing or, or what is going into the pipeline that is then ultimately getting sold to market. And those are all things that I guess would need to be put in place. If you start having individual hydrogen producers and processing facilities that now want to be selling their hydrogen to the market. And if you're filling up your cars, you want to know you've got this quality of hydrogen. Yep. And I don't, I don't know how that compares to octane levels and all of that. So I'm not even going to try, but you want a certain quality and a certain energy density that you're buying and you want to know that that's, that's right.
1: Right, right. Exactly. Um, for, for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Now there are, there are two different pressure uh, requirements uh, depending upon the, the particular vehicle. And having standards for those different connectors uh, is very important, so that you don't put a higher pressure uh, gas into a lower pressure uh, system, um, mm. and it's it makes it easier for you to go from station to station to be able to fill your vehicle, and and that's where where standard connections uh, help the consumer end. But on the other end of that, where where product is delivered to a fueling station, uh, think of of you know, gasoline. It's it's delivered in tankers, and and in some some situations, hydrogen will be delivered to fueling stations. Having common connectors makes that delivery much much easier. It, it allows a, a greater uh, flexibility and supply over time. So having standards is, is important to building out the infrastructure and building it out quickly.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that everything we've been talking about around the standards, the perceived risk, the simple ability to build out the infrastructure all of this is the why behind the safety and regulations work that you are doing at the cga and all of the efforts you're doing with hydrogen and this new initiative that they all have the hydrogen safety is step one
1: right right um hydrogen are we, we started the hydrogen uh, safety is, is step one last year. And, and really, it's to, to remind people that you need to be thinking about safety as the first step. Because um, if, if people aren't, don't feel comfortable, don't feel that the technology is safe, they're not going to use it. Yeah, you know, for for over 100 years, CGA has, has uh, been dedicated to the development and promotion of safety standards and safe practices for, for the compressed gas industry. That's something um, yeah, that we are, are very, very involved with. We provide these standards for, for hydrogen for decades. Our first hydrogen standard was published in 1955. And we continue to provide this this information. Uh, We develop standards. We develop uh, tools and resources and information to create uh, safety, create and maintain safety above all else. Our safety is step one initiative is part of this effort. Our goal is to remind people that the safe production, storage, transport, and use of hydrogen are necessary first steps for its expanded use. Again, because if people don't feel safe using it, they're not going to use it, and that's going to be an impediment to to that engagement. And we're looking to to spread that message uh, across a broad audience. It's more than just the the designers and builders of these uh, these fueling stations. It's it's the regulators also. It's the people deciding where hydrogen systems get, uh, hydrogen refueling systems get installed. Um, the potential for hydrogen is, is very, very high. And, you know, one of the questions we get asked is why, if the potential is so high, why should we slow down to focus on safety instead of maximizing our opportunities as quickly as possible. And that's because customers are going to be the determinant of whether and how fast hydrogen is adapted. And if they, they are concerned about it, as our research shows, we need to have safety standards in place to convince them that hydrogen is is a safe uh a safe fuel option. Mm-hmm. And you know, as we talk, having, having a common set of standards can actually speed up the growth of hydrogen. Uh, one of the things we talk about are the Navy SEALs, and they have a saying that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah, these, are, these are guys that are operating you know, at a high level of skill in a really high-stakes world. But to them, this, this expression is a reminder that when we slow down and do things right the first time, we ultimately move faster than when we rush. So taking a little bit of time at the front end to, to get everything in place correctly will ultimately allow us to move much faster faster. Now I imagine some of your listeners see me as a as a standards guy. You know, I work for a standards organization, so of course I'm I'm interested in standards. And they they may also think that standards are an impediment to action. You know, why why do I have to do it this way? You know, if I do it that way, it'll I can do it much more quickly. But remember we were talking about hazards earlier and standards phrase I like to use are history lessons, things you, you learn sometimes the hard way. So understanding the hazards and having the mitigations in place, and that's where standards come in, ultimately help us do things faster and better.
0: Hmm. Yep. I like that. And I really appreciate just the discussion that we've had here around standards and really the the value of standards and what what they're needed for because as as you point out there are a lot of differing opinions when it comes to regulations and when mm-hmm. it comes to standards and and being told how you have to run your business or specific parts of your business that you have to meet. So I think it it's always good to hear here are all the different perspectives and here those those viewpoints on why and how and what value they add. One thing that we haven't covered that I usually like to cover, though, are the, some, some hard metrics associated with a, the generalized technology or, or area. Here we're talking about hydrogen and hydrogen adoption for, for transportation. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping you can speak to these. That first question that I've got is how would increased infrastructure lower the cost of hydrogen for, as a fuel?
1: That's a good question. Um, Yeah. Infrastructure is a, is a pretty broad, pretty broad area and where, where I think, infrastructure plays a role is, uh, green, green electricity, for example, um, hydrogen, green hydrogen gets produced by, by electrolyzers, which use, uh, green electricity, be it from, be it from solar wind or, or other, other renewable sources, uh, that build out, uh, will help, uh, with this process, um, having more, more stations installed, it's almost, uh, a chicken egg discussion. Uh, people want to adopt, but if they can't find fuel, that becomes a problem. Uh, people don't want to, manufacturers don't want to produce fuel cells unless the, the hydrogen stations are available. So it, it becomes a, a, a mix between faster development of hydrogen and hydrogen fueling systems, and then that will encourage people to use to use fuel cells as as their their motive uh, motive of power in their vehicles.
0: That I like that point, and as we talk about green hydrogen i completely agree that that is one of those areas that could you that we could really see some significant cost reduction with the Uh idea of curtailed energy associated with wind or solar and hooking up an electrolyzer to that where you can get low electricity cost green electricity that can Uh then immediately be Producing a commodity that being hydrogen, the
1: the other the other area dealing with infrastructure is is the regulatory environment. Uh, the ability to put hydrogen facilities, hydrogen refueling stations, where they're needed, uh, will require some regulatory change changes also, and that's something that that standards help help. Uh, accomplish uh, having uh, having things like uh, building codes that that really uh, are are designed to understand that the hazards and the mitigations for refueling systems uh, allows them to get put where they're needed um, or changes in some transportation regulations. Uh, such as being able to move hydrogen through through some tunnels. You know, there are places where you can't move hydrogen through through tunnels, but uh, you know, the risks don't the hazards don't necessarily or the risks necessarily um, address that, but it's it's understanding that and understanding where where not only our, our standard, Changes, standards development needed, but where where might regulatory changes be be needed to foster uh, the ability to install hydrogen fueling stations and and hydrogen systems and pipelines and such? Yeah. So so there's there's a, a number of of areas that that need need to be addressed. Need some work to to further the adoption of hydrogen as a as a transportation fuel.
0: Yep. Yeah. And then further adoption and further mm-hmm. green energy production will ultimately drive that cost yep. down. And as you build more infrastructure, it should also be able to reduce that environmental footprint of the hydrogen ecosystem.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, we, we think there's there's a, a bright future for, for hydrogen in mobility and power storage, manufacturing, all sorts of areas. Hmm. But really to foster and encourage this growth, we need people to feel comfortable with using hydrogen. And we believe that, that the way to do this is uh, making them, Uh, understand that uh, and feel comfortable with the notion that that hydrogen is safe it's not it's not the Hindenburg it's it's quite safe
0: yeah well with that I want to transition into some final questions these are the questions I ask all of my guests the first question being what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend
1: one one i i really enjoy reading and and watching also is apollo 13 it's it's you know one of my favorite books and one of my favorite movies and it's really it's really a compelling story about human perseverance and people coming together to solve what seemed to be unsolvable problems and that's that's a a good story for what we face today. You know, it's, it's, we need to persevere. We need to come together to find solutions. And that's, that's you know, what I get out of that book.
0: It's great. And I will, I've, I've never read the book, but I've watched the movie many times. So yep. I will add that book to the reading list. The next question, when will we be net zero as a society?
1: <laughs> that that's an interesting question and my crystal ball's not really very clear on it um, depends on what people expect and are willing to accept um, there there are lots of good solutions out there we need to we need the the will to implement them and we need a a clear clear path depends on what great Technological advances are waiting just just over the horizon. Um, there's a path. There's a very pretty clear path we can we can follow. We just need to stay on it.
0: Hmm. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's a it's a very good pragmatic answer that is in line with what most people say is that it yeah. there there are ways to get there there is a a line of sight to net zero the question is are we going to stay on that line yeah and, and are we going to advance technologies to make that line even better
1: right right and and allow us to get to the end point faster
0: yep exactly now the last question i have you actually get to ask me a question now
1: yep um what are your thoughts on battery electric vehicles versus fuel cell vehicles? Do you think they both have natural constituencies or will one become a uh, Betamax?
0: I think that they will have their place. So there's, there's obvious constraints right now for both as far as infrastructure mm-hmm. i think with with electric vehicles there will always be that constraint on on capacity and mm-hmm. how long you're willing to sit and refuel your vehicle so i think that electric vehicles will have a good strong place in urban environments where you're zipping around town and where really what I think their bigger value is going to be is as a distributed energy resource component. Because you think about the Ford Lightning, it has a a three-day battery life. Yep. So you've got three days of of battery power sitting in your garage. You can sell that back onto the grid. And that is a, a clear value. Now, with hydrogen, once you have the fueling stations, I think that that is an area where you do have a quicker fueling opportunity and that ability to do those cross-country road trips. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where alternative fuels are really going to shine is long-haul transportation. So yep. I think advanced biofuels, hydrogen, fuel cell vehicles that's going to be the future of of long haul transportation and really what is a very very large component of our current supply chain so we kind of need to figure those parts out if we want to get to net zero yep
1: yep i i completely agree with that
0: yeah it it's funny to think the there's these ideas of like maximalists, people who are dead set on one technology and that's going to be the future. Now, I will, I will gladly concede that I am a geothermal maximalist if there is such a thing. I think geothermal <laughs> is the foundation. It needs to be the base load and, and that, that starting block of the energy tower, if you will, but ultimately, it is something that facilitates and, and makes other opportunities and makes other, other, um, other energy sources be able to have more opportunity. So it's not that we're going to power everything through geothermal. It's that we need that to finish the puzzle mm. or really to start the puzzle is my viewpoint. Okay. Yeah. So well thank you Rich, for that. Yes, absolutely. And Rich, thank you for joining me on the show today. Before yep. we sign off, is there anything else that you would like to say?
1: Well, first let me let me thank you for letting me talk about hydrogen. It's it's important to us, uh, safety is important to us, and and you know, we think hydrogen has a has a, a really clear, bright future. Uh But there's work to be done Uh, and it does have a place in the technology universe that that are needed to address climate change and that's why we think standards are needed to help quickly develop its potential
0: yep absolutely well thanks again rich and thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the energy transition solutions podcast please do me a favor Give me a five star rating, leave me a review and share this episode with a friend. Doing these simple actions will help these stories reach a wider audience. If you want to hear more great stories and keep up to date with the energy industry, connect with OGGN on LinkedIn or visit OGGN.com. And if you're in the Houston area, go try out the Canon. Mention OGGN and they'll give you a free day pass. And that's all that is where I am whenever I'm in Houston. So if I'm there and you're there maybe we can meet up. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.